with us next Sunday. If you're visiting today, uh, we welcome you. It's good to have you with us. Before I get started, I want you to check out this video. Hello. Hey, everybody, and welcome. Excuse me. Gentlemen, you know what time it is? It's time. Time for what? Something big. Something so big. Were you scared? Tell me honestly. Do you want to know what it is at the movies? What? At the movies. What's that? Very good movies. Movies? I haven't been to the movies in ages. Mm-mm. This is for church. At the movies. Church. Movies. The church. The movie. The church meeting. Movies. Inconceivable. We're a match made in heaven. Let's all go to the movies. So At the Movies starts next week. And you know, we can learn a lot about God and ourselves from movies. So join us every Sunday in September for At the Movies at both services. And what we've done is we've uh, created some movie tickets for you guys. They'll be out in the lobby. Take some with you. It's got all the information about the series on the back. So if you're not comfortable talking about church or inviting people to church, you don't have to say anything. You can walk up to them, you can give them a ticket, and then you can just leave. And they'll know everything <laughs> there is to know about it. And I don't know, how many of you were here for the preview of At The Movies? Were you, a lot of you guys? That was awesome. So I'm really excited about this series. I love the preview, uh, and I'm looking forward to see what what Dave has in store for us in this series, and also to see how God's going to use this series in our lives. So, if you were here last week, we talked about why we sing. And hopefully we learned that we are commanded to sing. And I'm happy to say that I heard more of you singing this morning than in some previous weeks. So that's a good thing. Now, after my message last week, some folks were talking to me in the lobby and some of them were asking a little bit about my backstory, how I came to be the worship leader here at Cornerstone. And, and Barb Bardole even said it would be nice if she could see some pictures of the skinny, shy, awkward kids. So I'm going to show you a couple of those in a minute, flog myself a little in front of you guys. <laughs> but what my hope is that after hearing a little bit more about my story, I'm hoping what you'll come away with is like, Oh my God, if this guy can be involved in church, then there's probably a place for me to be involved also. Because as the song, some of the songs said that we sang this morning, that, that God uses we weak people to help the strong people. So if you're willing to plug in and get involved, there is a place for you to do that here at the church. <clears throat> so the first thing I should tell you about my journey as a worship leader and then worship pastor is that is that I don't really have any formal training in this. Everything that I know about leading a band or leading worship is just from getting involved and then having people invest in me over the years, invest their time and their patience with me, pastors and other musicians, things like that. My, my musical experience really consists of just singing in, in rock bands from the time I was about 17. So I do have a couple of pictures here that I want to show you. I'm the little skinny guy in the white tank top there on your left, and um, I did have hair. That's proof that I had hair. 
So primarily back then we just, you know, I was 17. A couple of guys in my band were 18. We had a 15-year-old in the band. And once we learned about 10 or 15 songs, we just started playing at people's parties. The shot on the left is in my Uncle Bob's basement. We played there. And uh, we played a lot of gigs at uh, Marianne Camachi's backyard, a lot of house parties at her house for her softball team. And um, so I did have hair. I was just a little skinny guy. I graduated from the basement to the fabulous White Oak Inn in Shermansdale, Pennsylvania. <laughs> for, for those of you that are familiar with it. <laughs> so go ahead and take those pictures down now. <laughs> so from time to time, while I was pursuing this little musical journey, family members of mine, friends would ask me to come sing in church from time to time. And I would do that every now and again. I would come sing special music in church But I got to tell you, I certainly wasn't seeking God at that point in my life. I wasn't really living my life appropriately. And um, as oftentimes happens when you are not living right, you know, things got a little messy in my personal life. Things got a little complicated in my life. So one of the things I want to tell you guys is that if your life used to be a little messy, or if it's currently a little messy, or if you think it's going to be a little messy in the coming weeks, God can still use you. Everybody in this room, even the people leading worship, even the pastor that's here on Sunday mornings, they've all got the same trash and baggage in their background that that you may have. So, that's one thing I wanted to tell you. And I want to tell you that when I started living for God, family members kept asking me to come to church, inviting me to church, you know, not being judgmental, just saying, why don't you just come out? That's when... That's when good things started happening in my life. I had known Marcia in high school, but we hadn't seen each other in in many years. And I started going back to church over at Rose Glen United Methodist. And she was there with her son and daughter. I think Aaron was 10 and Kristen was 8, I think. And I met them and Marcia and I started dating. And a beautiful woman with two young kids will change your life (laughs) in a hurry. (laughs) It's a challenge for all of us for a while. But... uh, they, they, they changed my life, and then Marcia and I got married, and we had Presley, and it's all, it's all been good. I just really plugged in, started trying to do what, to seek out what God had for me, and that was, that's a good thing. So really, I, I want to encourage you today just to take that first step. We can use you somewhere at the church. If you like holding babies, we can work there. Odie always needs help with youth. We need people to teach Sunday school. We need people in the band. We need people in the tech room. So I encourage you to get involved if you will. But that is not the main thing that I want to talk to you about today. What I want to do is I want to ask you a question. What does Sunday morning sound like at our church? More specifically, what do you hear when our church worships God together in song? What's the defining sound of our church? Now, that answer is going to be different for everybody. For some people, it might be the piano, that you really like the piano playing at the church. For other people, some people would say it's the energy of the electric guitar, that they're really fans of guitar players. Some people just come every Sunday hoping Pete's going to be playing drums on Sunday morning (laughs) or one of our other drummers. Maybe it's someone's voice that you particularly like. You've heard people say they could sing the phone book and lead me to the Lord. So it's going to be a little bit different for everybody. But what I want to tell you is that the defining sound on Sunday morning should be God's people singing together. 
our defining sound on Sunday morning should be you folks singing these songs of praise, praise and worship. And I hope you'll remember that last week we talked about the fact that we are commanded to sing, that God commands us to sing. And remember, this is not a style or a preference thing that I'm talking about. Regardless of style, I believe there are principles of worship that transcend cultural or personal preferences and fill music with unusual meaning. Now, if you remember from last week, I told you that every good sermon has three points. And unfortunately today, my sermon has more than three points. But I'm not going to say as much about each one of them. And I didn't number them on the slides, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping you don't notice. <laughs> but my first point is this. Only one instrument sings. Now, by no means is God against musical instruments. He loves the sound of praise that comes from strings and horns and drums. Many of the psalms were written, after all, to be accompanied by stringed instruments. So, God likes instruments, but only one instrument sings. Only the voice brings words of praise, explicit expressions of God's power, goodness, mercy, and wonder. Only a human voice declares the truth. A guitar, an organ, a banjo, they can all communicate something of the glory of God. But even the most beautiful note can't save anyone. We're desperate for a voice, a word, a lyric that announces God's good news, that reminds us of the truth that we all need. My next point is this. Those saved by God sing to God. God has wired music into the fabric of every soul, even those who are not especially musical by nature. Throughout the Bible, God's people, saved by his grace, because of his love, they sing. And it's never been exclusive to the talented or the trained or male and female. It's part of being human, and it's part of being a Christian. When God rescued you, he became your song. Isaiah 12.2 basically says this. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. Now that's a metaphor, but it's so much more than a metaphor. It pulls us up out of the pit. God put his name on our hearts and on our lips forever. Here's another point. We are all young or old, male or female, musical or not, we are commanded by God to sing. That's the point I want you to remember from these two weeks. We are commanded by God to sing. Psalm 511 says this, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. 1 Chronicles 16.9 and 23 says, Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works, Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. We need to trust that the God worthy of our worship, that we trust him with how we worship. And I know that singing doesn't always feel natural. Some of us aren't even good at it, but again, God tells us to sing. Refusing to sing to God is sort of like this. You men may appreciate this, you husbands. Not singing to God is the equivalent of not getting your wife what she wants for Christmas. 
but instead just buying her something that you want and wrapping it up and giving it to her as a present. Now, God wants us to praise him in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways he wants to be loved, worshiped, and enjoyed is through singing. And he's worthy of more than mere declarations of his greatness or even prayers affirming all that he is. He is worthy of our singing. Psalm 717 says, I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. He deserves our songs. And he commands it over and over again in his word. Psalm 911 says, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Psalm 34 says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you saints. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm not going to read all 400 commands to you. Megan said that would be a good message. Show the pictures and read the 400 scriptures and then just get off the stage. But I'm not going to do that. Here's my next point. Heartfelt singing to God is a miracle. It's a miracle when you sing. It's a spectacular miracle even. Now, not all singing is a miracle. Most of the music we're exposed to any given day, it may be beautiful in its own right, but it's not supernatural. What makes a song a miracle is when it's offered with a redeemed and genuine heart in awe and in praise to God. It's not a song that comes from deep within, but rather a song that comes from far above. It's an act of sovereign grace when we have our hearts right and we're singing to God. Psalm 40, verse 3, says, God put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When God saved us, even if you don't realize it yet, he retuned our souls to sing. Now, he didn't train us in music theory. He didn't give us vocal lessons, but he opened our eyes and he made us alive. Our mouths look around and may sound like the same old instrument, but they've been radically and eternally transformed to declare the glory and the goodness of God. That's why we sing. Here's my next point. This is a tough one for me sometimes. Worship leadership calls for worshipers, not spectators. And this is kind of tough, Zach will tell you, when you're leading worship. You want to do your best for the congregation. You want the songs to be flawless. You want to look good. You want to be doing it up there. And that's where the balancing act is. Because worship leadership, yes, it's about leadership, but it's not about performance. It's about getting you folks to engage with God and then trying to get out of the way and let God do his thing. And we have to find a way to do that without taking all of the attention so that it doesn't turn into a little mini concert for you guys. Because worship leadership that doesn't aim for congregational participation, that can become a distraction, right? It can become a performance that ironically and tragically upstages God. And that's what we don't want to have happen. And I love rock music. I love bands. I love having the whole band up here. But even I will admit that, that sometimes the accompaniment can kind of take over the song. When all you hear are the instruments, it can be hard to remember why we're singing. And if we're not careful, the accompaniment has a real propensity to become the point in the worship. Consciously or unconsciously, 
it can be a barrier to you folks worshiping. And that's subtle, but it's also very serious. God wants us to enjoy music as a gift from him and as a means for worshiping him. But he doesn't want us to enjoy it at the expense of seeing him and offering our hearts. Now, it's tough to get quality sound in this room. I mean, it's a big acoustical nightmare of a gym, you know? Sound bouncing all over the place, and we're playing with amplified instruments. And man, the tech team and the sound guys upstairs, they do a fantastic job every week. And what I want you guys to know, because obviously I hear things from time to time, that was too loud, that wasn't loud enough, there was feedback, I could only hear the piano, but I couldn't hear the drummer, but I only heard the drummer. Um, I just want you to know, just to throw some props out to the team and to the guys up there, we are aware when those things happen, and I can tell you that when we're picking songs, when we're lining up musicians, that's our goal, is to try to facilitate worship, to try to create an atmosphere that allows us as a congregation to engage with God. And it's helpful for us for that to happen when we hear you guys singing these songs back, as you were today. So yet another little pat on the back for you there. Okay. So by now, I hope after last week and the beginning of this week, you get the point that we are called and commanded to sing. Now let's talk a little bit about what we should do when we just don't want to sing. So let's say there you are at church. The worship set begins. The band's playing, and you're not feeling it. You have no awe of God in your heart. You don't even have any love for him in your heart at that minute. You have nothing. What should you do? Should you just go through the motions? Should you leave and come back next Sunday? And I don't know why I'm always amazed to learn that God has contemplated all of these scenarios. I'm always thinking, I'll bet God hasn't really even thought about that. But God, <laughs> God has thought about it. So what did Jesus teach us about how we should behave when we just don't feel it? A lot of my message today was based on a series of articles that I read about singing during worship, how we're supposed to worship, how we're supposed to engage with God through song. And um, I learned some pretty neat things by that. And one of the things was what Jesus taught us about this situation when we're feeling far from him. And Jesus taught that true worship must involve both spirit and truth. John 4.24 basically says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we must worship in truth, which means worshiping the true God as revealed in Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to worship in spirit? The Gospel of John gives us two clues. One clue is that John's Gospel uses the word spirit to refer to feelings and emotions. And you can see that in John 13, 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. The other clue is that in John 3, 6, the word spirit refers to something supernaturally produced in us by the Holy Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So if we put those together, worshiping in spirit would mean worshiping with spirit-given feelings and emotions, like joyful praise awestruck wonder, sorrow for sin, and longings for God. So what can we do when our hearts just aren't feeling it? 
What we must not do is think that feelings are optional and just go through the motions, acting as if we're feeling what we're saying and singing. Jesus called that hypocrisy. Matthew 15, 7 and 8 said, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But if our hearts are feeling far from God, and we're not supposed to just go through the motions, but we're commanded to sing, then what else can we do? Well, we get a lesson from David in Psalm 40. David's heart was not full of worshipful feelings. Quite the contrary. He says he felt like he was in a pit of destruction, stuck in miry clay, but then God lifted him from that pit of destruction, set his feet on solid rock, and put a song of praise in his mouth. So what happened between feeling stuck in the clay and singing praise to God? David David tells us in Psalm 40, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And that's that's a tough one for a lot of us, waiting patiently. I think a lot of men, myself included, when we encounter a problem, we like to hunt it down and we like to kill it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to express our feelings. We don't want to look at different scenarios. We don't want to get on the Google. We want to hunt it down and we want to kill it. So it's tough to wait. And I know intellectually that God wants me to wait on him and seek him. I know it's the right thing to do and yet we don't always do it. So David did not go through the motions of worship, nor did he give up on worship. Instead, he waited patiently for the Lord to help him worship. And what does it mean to wait for the Lord? This is one of the coolest things that I learned in this article I was reading. We could think it means just passively hoping that God is going to change us, that we could just show up and stand here like Eeyore in the Winnie the Pooh movie. Oh, bother, I don't feel like worshiping. I'll just wait on God. But that's not what he's saying. What I learned was that the Hebrew word doesn't mean passively hoping. It means eager seeking. It means taking the steps that God has promised to use to help us while trusting him expectantly to work in us. So you're in church and you're singing because you're commanded to sing, but you're feeling far from God. If that's you, even today... Here are a couple of specific suggestions that you might find helpful. First, look to Jesus expectantly. Don't focus on your lifeless heart. Instead, look to Christ with faith. Trust him to meet you, to help you, and to change you. And then pray. Pray and ask God to help you worship. Marsha will tell you, those people that know me well will tell you, I do dumb things a lot of the time. (laughs) I can remember an instance where I just kept, we were in a house that that we just didn't like. And uh, things just weren't going well. And at one point, my brother was helping me try to get things together. And I just said to him, I'm like, Kevin, I have got to stop doing dumb things. (laughs) Marsha is not happy with me right now. (laughs) And one of the dumbest things that I do is when I encounter a problem when I'm in trouble... I never pray at the beginning. I always wait till I completely collapse in failure before I seek God's help. So what I want to tell you is if you're feeling far from God, then pray to God and ask him to help you. Don't wait till you've spiraled the whole way down into the pit. Pray 
and be honest with God about the dullness in your heart. Tell him you're not feeling it. Talk to him like you would talk to one of your friends. Confess your sins. And then be assured of his forgiveness. And pray and ask God for the Spirit to work in your heart to enable you to feel joyful praise, awestruck wonder, and a heartfelt longing for him. Set your heart on the truth of who God is as revealed in Christ. If worship is the fire, then truth is the fuel that causes the fire to burn. The more fuel, the hotter the fire. So focus prayerfully and relentlessly on the truth in the songs that are being sung, in the prayers that are being offered, and in the scriptures that you're hearing preached to you. And now here's the toughest one of all. Continue all of those steps patiently. It's called waiting for a reason. And God may change your heart instantly, or he may not. But his timing is all about his perfect love for you. So humbly continue waiting for him. And what does God promise to do as we wait for him? In Jeremiah 29, 13, he promises that when we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. In Hosea 6, 3, he promises when we press on to know the Lord, he will come to us like spring rain. In John 6, 35, he promises that when we come to Jesus, our heart hungers will be satisfied. In other words, he will change our heart so that we experience heartfelt worship and once again see and feel the glory of God in Jesus Christ. So don't settle for fake. Have you ever been over at someone's house for, say, the 4th of July, and they have some crappy gas station fireworks, and they set them off, and as a joke, everybody's going, ooh, ah, ooh. That's fake. That's what happens when you're not feeling worship, when you're faking it. But imagine a time when you've been tr truly blown away by a fireworks display. Maybe you've been in New York City. Maybe you've been in Washington, D.C. Or, or the firework display at Disney World. I have a friend whose parents owned a lake house in the Poconos. And I was there one fourth of July a long time ago. And we were on this little rowboat in the middle of this lake. And the fireworks were going off right over our heads, right over the lake. It was awe-inspiring. If we just go through the motions in worship, then we're just looking at the crappy, low-budget backyard fireworks ooing and aahing. And why would we do that? But if we wait on the Lord, it's just a matter of time before the Holy Spirit will start to work in you. That the fireworks will start to explode in our hearts and we see the beauty in God revealed in Christ. And that's when worship truly happens. That's true worship. And let me leave you with just one last thought or a word of caution, if you will. Dave Sherwood is always telling us week after week in our staff meetings, no autopilot. Don't get on autopilot. We can't let the church get on autopilot. But we're creatures of habit, right? We come here on Sunday mornings, and the service is basically the same for the most part. We sing some songs. We hear some preaching. If we don't remind ourselves of why we do what we do, then we're prone to just go through the motions. And that can be especially dangerous in worship. And I'm sure some of you are familiar with this story that I want to close with. But for some of you that may not know the story, I wanted to share it. Uh, Matt Redman is a famous songwriter, 
worship leader. He wrote the song, The Heart of Worship. And he tells um, a lesson he learned from a, a remarkable experience that his pastor taught their church. In the late 90s, his preaching pastor in Watford, England, sensed that their worship gatherings were kind of on autopilot. They were stale. The congregation was just going through the motions. The band was just going through the motions. And worship wasn't flowing from their heart. So Redmond says the pastor did a very, a very brave thing. He recognized something was dynamic and missing, so he removed all the instruments from the stage, and he got rid of their PA system for a time. And for a whole season in that church, they would just gather and sing all of their songs a cappella. It was a way to get back to the heart of worship, to strip everything away and just focus on God. He challenged his congregation to come to church as worshipers, not as consumers, to come ready to engage with God themselves from their heart, not just to watch a performance or a concert. With the band and the system gone, the sound system, it made for an unforgettable time in the life of their church when they sang a cappella just as a congregation. Now, before long, they did reintroduce the band. They did have a world-class praise team, after all, and uh, all of the instruments and things like that. But he said they gained a perspective on worship. It really helped them focus on the fact that it was all about Jesus and that God commands a response in depths from our souls no matter the circumstance or the setting of our church. And that's really what that song describes. So we're going to sing that song in a couple of minutes. And, and as you sing it, I hope you will experience what that means when he sings, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, that you search much deeper within, you're looking into my heart. Now, good music, catchy beats, talented musicians, even the friends and loved ones that we share church with, those are all good things. They're all great things. It's one of the great things about coming to church. And yet when we focus on them rather than Jesus, then we're losing the heart of what worship is supposed to be. As Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The essence of worship is not the many good externals, the stuff that happens around the church, but it's the heart and the head. It's spirit and truth. It's our spirit, stirred by the Holy Spirit in worship over the true things about God. The heart of worship is our heart, delighting in Jesus and expressing praise to him for the true things the, teacher, the scriptures teach us about who he is and what he accomplished for us. That's when it's all about Jesus, when it's not all about us. It involves us, but on the periphery. Jesus is at the center. He's the focus. So this song is about refocusing and recentering and reminding ourselves why we worship and who we worship. So the band's going to come up now. And as they're coming up, I just also want to share with you that this song, if you'll notice as we're singing it, it's also a song about repentance, not just worship, and not just repenting in worship, but in all of our lives. 
And I'm sure you know that periodically we all need a little soul check. We all need to take a look at ourselves. There's a lot going on in our lives, and we can be easily distracted from the main things, essentially from the main person, from Jesus. And I hope you've learned in the past couple of weeks that Jesus is greatly honored when we bring ourselves, with the Holy Spirit's help, back to the heart of worship again and again. So what I'd like to do today, instead of a prayer, I'd like all of us to stand up, if you could stand with me. And since I'm going to sing, let me have a little sip of water. Pam always knows I'm preaching when, I have, when she sees water up here. So we're going to sing a little bit of this song a cappella, okay? And just remember as we're singing this, focus, really focus on God. And remember that I'm asking you to sing but God has commanded us to sing together, okay? When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you, all about you, Jesus.
guys. I hope you have a great week. See you next time.